Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Cupcake Media brought to you by your host, Master Shirk in the house. Today is November 14 and we are going to be discussing Iran, somewhere that is very dear to me. It is my homeland, it is where my ancestors are from. And as we say in Farsi, it is Sheyeh which is something very beautiful. And if you want to know about it and what it exactly means, let me know. But you know what? Maybe I'll tell you anyways. Basically means that my entire roots of myself and my ancestors are all there. Today marked a very unfortunate day in Iran. The government has decided to essentially assassinate 14,000 political prisoners who have been protesting in Iran. And for those of you, if you don't know what's been going on in Iran, after all this time, shame on you. Um, there have been massive movements, massive protests going on in Iran. And it is very heartbreaking to hear that human rights lawyers, protesters, people who just went out into the streets are going to be put to death. Imagine if in America they put to death 14,000 protesters. What would happen to the society? It is very sad because the world sits silently and still. And, it, and as an Iranian, we are a very lonely people. We've known this for a long time. No one cares about us. We're not blonde-haired, we're not blue-eyed, even though they do exist in Iran, but the stereotype of us, of us as a people. They view us as something that we are not. They confuse us a lot with our neighbors, in which we don't really look like them, but then sometimes we do, but overall, we're just fundamentally different. And um, it's very sad. Our names aren't Tiffany, or George, or Bob, or Jennifer. So I think because, because of this, People don't care. And people are so dumb in America, unfortunately, that when we talk about Iran, some of the responses I've seen on the internet, which is, should be known as World Wide Web of Stupidity, people confuse it with Afghanistan, which is a totally different country. It was once part of the empire. They are children of the empire. But to confuse the two is so just idiotic that it amazes me that you have all this knowledge at your fingertips and yet your stupidity ranks number one. Um, but let's talk about Iran. So 14,000 prisoners are going to be uh, executed. This is very, very sad. I mean, you're talking about even young people. Like teenagers are being put to death. Musicians, artists, um, someone who might have said some shit about some Ayatollah 10 years ago. They found it. I don't know. They somehow remembered it from a Mehmuni and they want to put all these people to death. So it is very heartbreaking because this is essentially the future of your country. What I don't understand is, okay, if you're the government, if your goal is to just get rid of everybody, just tell them that. Be like, we don't want you fucking here. Because at some point, these some of these people might be some of the smartest and brightest of your future, and you are eliminating them. It makes no sense as to why you'd want to do this. Spank them on the ass, okay, punish them, but to kill them? Come on. You are annihilating the future of your prosperity and your success as a nation. And it's just so sad because no one is saying anything. I mean, I'm surprised that the United Nations, which has this whole mantra that all human beings are created equally, you know, they, they have, a, they have you know, basic human fundamental rights, they're just sitting there with their thumbs up their asses, not getting involved, saying, hey, you're violating, you know, ABC charters that you, as a signatory member of the United Nations, 
sign, which means you must adhere to and respect, and they should at least do something about this, because this is, this is out of control. Now, for those of us living in the diaspora of being Iranian, excuse me while I drink my chai now, but Iran is very emotional people. So we see what's going on, on the internet, and I think we, I think because of our high emotions as a culture and as a race, we sometimes fail to remove the emotion to be able to study and analyze exactly what is going on in Iran. So I met somebody, and I trust the source, very, very good. She just came back to America from Iran two weeks ago. So to me, this intelligence is much more valid than what I'm seeing on the internet. I use what she has told me from her experiences to try to validate what I'm seeing through the phones and through the Instagram and, and, and the internet because sometimes what you see is a snapshot. It's kind of like, it gives you a false sense of what's going on. Much like, let's say sometimes, you know, you might be a young gal, you look at this you know, girl's Instagram page and she has like a Louis Vuitton purse, a Chanel purse, and, you're, and she's like traveling. Lo and behold, she's not traveling. She's just going up to a, you know, like a window that looks like an airplane with a, you know, maybe she's holding a toilet seat right? Making it look like she's going somewhere on the weekend. All those purses are things she's just taking photos of at the store, not buying them, and she works at Yogurtland. I'm just saying, reality from, from insta-reality is a totally different world. So this person just came back from Iran two weeks ago. They are a dual citizen. She said she was out there in the streets protesting, but she said they were getting their asses kicked. She said... When she came back to America, she said she was a little surprised as to see how people thought like we were winning there. And she said, no, she's like, that's far from the truth. She said, this government is so entrenched in power up until two weeks ago. So remember, it is November 14th. So her last day was two weeks ago. But she said up until that point, she said they are so entrenched and they are so mobilized that she said, I... As of two weeks ago, she's like, I just don't know what's going to happen because it's too early to, to, to tell. But she said the, 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 the moto cops, which are the, the motorcycle cops, the passages on the cops, uh, the passages on motorcycles, I apologize. She said they are everywhere and they are beating the shit out of people. And this verified my own analysis of, of intel that I got from people, which is not a lot of people are going out in the streets. So a lot of people are protesting at home. And so like if you live in a city like Tehran, you have this giant apartment complex. They call them like, like Dehai Kuchulu, which is like these mini little villages because you have like four or five apartment complexes, even though Tehran has like 15 million people. But where you live, they'd be like, oh, like in Jad Dehiman, which is like, oh, this is like my little village right here because there's five complexes and they have like a courtyard, like a massive, beautiful courtyard where they all assemble. And people would be protesting from their windows inside their homes. Fortunately, a lot of people's Apartment complexes are getting shot up at night. So people ended up turning off their lights because if you walked by the window and they saw your shadow, they would shoot you. So people turn off their lights so they can't see them. And some of the things they would do every night for weeks, they'd be singing Sherving song. They'd be singing Mad Bad Dictator. You know, they, you know, they would say, uh, you know, like... Um, you know, uh, you know, or they say like, you know, betarsin, betarsin, right? They say all their chants like for hours every night. 
So just reinforce that because this individual said a lot of people are protesting from their homes, which is just as dangerous because she said when you're in your home, they storm the apartment complex. You literally have nowhere to go. And they've instilled so much fear in Iranian people that a complex that has like maybe 400 people is afraid to fight back 20 people coming back, coming into their apartment complex. And... She said it was very, very hard to get out of Iran. She said it was, I didn't, I, 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 you know, I did not ask her if I'm allowed to disclose how she left the country, even though she's a dual citizen. And out of respect, I don't want to say it just in case there are other people who need to leave. Um, but she said it was extremely hard. And she said it took her a while to be able to leave. Now, she, when I spoke with her, was saying how the government is just so well prepared. And a lot of people don't understand this, but there have been many kind of buildup of protests over the last 40 years. The biggest one was about 14 years ago, in about 2008, I want to say 2009, during the Green Movement. And that movement was interesting because that movement was about reform. Now, a lot of people here don't remember the Green Movement. If you ask a lot of people who've studied Iran, like myself, and you ask people who are in the world of intelligentsia, we would say the Green Movement had much larger people coming out all at once. But it was concentrated. So you had like the cities of Tehran, Esfahan, maybe Abadan, and like Mashhad and Shira. I was like, you had all these people coming out in those cities. But then outside of those cities, where the other chunk of the population lives, people are actually in support of the government, which is something that a lot of Iranians here do not understand. Up until that point, the reason why the Green Movement failed was because as, as much as all those people who came out in Tehran, they were not successful because you had so many people outside of Tehran and outside of the big cities that still supported the government. And one thing a lot of people don't remember is that the Green Movement lasted nine months after Ahmadinejad became president. And it got, it got quashed, got destroyed. Okay? So be, since then, the government has had time to really practice how to quell, let's say, uprisings and protests. And I spoke with another individual who, who has told me, for example, in schools... Teachers are writing out students who are, let's say, defaming pictures of Khomeini and the current Rahbar, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, and are reporting them to, to the Basijis. And even some parents are writing out their kids. So this is how it gets a little dangerous. And if I've been told that when fellow teachers confronted their co-workers at school, where they're all teaching, saying, hey, why are you writing on these kids? They're young, they're like 12 years old, 17 years old. They have their whole future ahead of them. They said, which means like, these are spoiled kids. They deserve to be punished. And they told them that if the other teachers don't start writing out the kids, that they themselves will be sent to prison. So imagine how fucked up that is, dude. That if you don't rat out, they're basically saying, if you don't do your job and rat out these kids, we will send you to prison as well. So this is, 
this is how things get dangerous. So some teachers are not showing up to school because they are afraid of what may happen to them and they don't want to ride out their fellow students because they love them. So, and this reinforces the idea from what our friend who had just come back has said. She said it's very hard to, to determine who is friend or foe. Now, one thing is, while we talk about the green movement being so much larger and how the motocops, for example, right now are everywhere and they're just beating the crap out of people, it does support my theory, which is the government over the last couple weeks, in the last, let's say, three weeks, has been losing control of their forces. Now, I'm not going to say it's large enough for the tidal ship because that's not going to happen yet. I don't think. Something's, something's have to occur in order for that to happen. But when I studied photos of the new Basiji forces that have been in Iran, these are really Al-Hod forces. These are, these are basically Arab militia and terrorist groups, essentially, that work for the Iranian government in Lebanon and Yemen. And they've brought these people in because a lot of them have their faces covered. If you're a police officer in Iran, you have no reason to cover your face because in Iran, police officers and Basijis will never get indicted. They will never, ever go to jail. Okay? George Floyd and Sinister will never happen. Except unless if you're the victim getting beat up. That will happen to you. But the cops going on trial, never. And also, a lot of them have tattoos. They're very visible in their arms. Arab militia and, and Arab terrorist groups, a lot of the men have tattoos. In Iran, you can't do that. Maybe they might have tattoos on their chest or their back, but definitely no visible tattoos and usually no tattoos anywhere. And the only reason you would cover your face is because you are probably on an Interpol list, on an international watch list, and you don't want the world recognizing that you may be part of a very bad organization in another country, such as Lebanon and Hezbollah, and now you've been flown into Iran to kill people. And that is probably one of the few reasons as to why they're covering their faces. Now, why they're bringing these people in? My theory is that the normal forces don't want to go and kill their hamvatan, which is their people. They don't want to go and do that. So maybe a lot of them are not showing up to work, or they're saying, hey, we're not going to do anything. They are showing up, but we're not going to go and kill our people. Because we've also seen a lot of images of kids being dressed up in kind of military uniform and being like Basijis, which means that they're going to the very outskirts of the outskirts of the outskirts of so these villages, you know, brainwashing these children, saying, hey, we're going to give your food, your family food for like a month if you come. Like, we're going to make this a game. We're just going to go and beat up people, right? They're probably brainwashing them to go and do this. And it's very sad because these kids may get killed in the process. So having seen that coupled with what I believe are foreign fighters on Iranian soil, it seems that maybe some of the security forces are not doing their job. Now, one thing that makes this movement so different from the Green Movement is while the Green Movement was larger in sheer volume and number, these movements right now are more like flash mob attacks. Maybe people in Iran have learned from 14 years ago they can't go out in such a big wave, which I think would be better if they do that and do the flash mob. So what happens right now, and, and I verified this through 
our source that just came in and speaking to people in Iran is like, for example, you're walking to the metro in, in, Iran, in Tehran and all of a sudden like 50 people show up going, mad, bad, dictator, mad, bad, dictator, right? And they start fighting the Basijis and then boom, they disperse. And that type of flash mob attack is like literally happening in every province in Iran. With the exception of Zahedan and Baluchistan, because down there, they are coming out in big numbers and parts of Khuzestan because they've been so ignored over the last few years and the economy there has tanked. And as we said in the previous podcast with uh, President, former President Trump pulling out of the uh, uh, Iran nuclear deal that Obama had, had conducted, the economy in Iran just really nosedive, nose unfortunately. But, excuse me there, but they are doing these flash mob attacks. And because there's so many little flash mob attacks happening in all the states and just about all the cities in Iran, on the one hand, our security forces are being stretched too thin because when it only happens in Tehran, you just send whatever you have to Tehran. But when you have like, I don't know, millions of people, Iran has about 85 million people in the population in Iran and a few million outside of the country, right? But when you have so many people doing so many things at once, your forces get stretched in. And then when those security forces don't want to go to work, it means that there's some trouble, there's some trouble with the government, which is why they're flowing, flying in these terrorist groups like Hezbollah and some of the other groups in Syria and Iraq and from Yemen. So this kind of reinforces what we've been seeing and hearing and also getting the latest intel on the ground. Now let's go back full circle. How well entrenched are they? They said that, she said that they are so well entrenched. She said it's so hard when she was there to just go out sometimes. She said the Basijis are like everywhere. The motorcycle cops are everywhere. And she said it was very scary because you didn't know who's going to kill you. So there's a lot of fear. And they've installed so much fear in this population that they don't really know how to fight back. Because when you study what goes on with the Basijis and the population, my mind is working in a different way. You know, but I think some of that fear is slowly coming out of the Iranians. I think that uh, primordial instinct to, to survive and fight is that Yanathon in all the human beings is coming out finally. Now, I want to discuss a worst and best case scenario. Because... Shit's going to get a lot worse before it gets a lot better. I mean significantly worse. Let's say best case scenario. Let's say hypothetically this government decides to walk away. Which they wouldn't because the people in power are taking in hundreds of billions to trillions of dollars a year. Right? I mean like we can look up their GDP, but that's what's proclaimed. I mean, God knows how much they're really taking in. But they're taking in billions of dollars a year. I mean, some of the richest people in the world are probably in Edom, but you just don't know about it because Forbes can't fucking go there, okay? Why would they leave their ATM when they're making billions of dollars a year? Just saying, right? So hypothetically, they're willing to walk away from... From stealing eight, you know, billions and billions of dollars of their, you know, to for, to fund their lifestyles abroad. Well, 
The question is who would come in power? We definitely don't want the Mujahideen because they're a terrorist group and they're a bunch of Khan. They're, they're traitors to our country and to the people of Iran. And I don't understand why the United States would engage with a terrorist organization when it had a whole fucking war about fighting terrorism and still does. So the Mujahideen is garbage. Even if a reformative government would come into place, it, it'll be quite shit. Because unless if the Iranian population wants to like hypothetically hire somebody like me to help them get onto that path, that might be the best way for that to happen. Somebody who has not been tainted by all the corruption and evil that they have witnessed, but somebody who understands the culture and what needs to get done to create a proper government and also understands how democracy works and also understands the needs of Iranians. And for that to happen, the Sapai Pastarana, which is also known as the IRGC, would have to be cool about that very fact. You see, what a lot of people don't understand is that you have to ask yourself who's really in power in Iran. Is it the Ayatollahs and the Ahud, or is it the Sapai Pastarana, the IRGC? Because they control the big chunk of the economy. Like, literally, road building, car making, real estate, natural oil, gas fields, energy. They literally have their hands in everything. They're like a mafia, per se. So, who's really in power then? Right? So, let's say you make this reformative government. Will the IRGC support it and be open to the fact that they do need free market capitalism in Iran for everything to prosper and become better because the way it's been right the state controlled economy which is almost like communism has like while many Iranians have benefited it has not allowed the nation to flourish right so let's say best case scenario the Alhuns leave the IRGC accepts a referendum government they accept to have more of a free market capitalistic economy so that you get the best ideas, the best inventions, the best innovations. You get people making the best, you know, chai khuna, so you can all drink chai. And if they're cool with that, and you get a transitionary government, which helps weed out all the corruption, is able to repatriate stolen funds from other countries back into Iran, and then you go into proper elections. That is a shitload of miracles to happen, but that is the best case scenario. Now let's talk about the worst case scenario, which is no one, which is something no one wants to talk about. Which is what happens if these guys stay in power? I don't think they're just going to all of a sudden be like, we're going to change fundamentally. Because after every protest, they get stricter. That's been, that has been their data point of, of what we see. So we have to take into account of past history and how they react and what the outcome is. So their one plus one equals two scenario is that their one is mass movements happen. Their plus one is they react they crush the movement, and the equal is they make life more of a living hell. My worry is, in this worst-case scenario, is that the government does not concede to anything. Because the people, like, even if they got rid of hijab, I just, I, it's more than that, right? What people don't understand is that this movement is more than just about 
hijab. This is about basic fundamental human rights. This is about just being able to go into the metro with your husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, right? Wife, no hijab, hijab, hold hands, kissing on the metro, not getting beat up and thrown in jail. To be able to own a pet, walk down the street, not getting beat up and then having your pet killed. Just very basic fundamental rights, okay? I don't, I, I do not see at this point, even if they were to remove a job, that things would calm down. And for them to be able to concede a lot of these things. The only way that would happen is if the IRGC steps in and goes, hey, look, you guys are fucking things up. It's time for a change. We're going to make a transitionary government. They're going to run the place for two to four years, probably four years, because two years is honestly too short. We're going to have proper elections. We're going to have a real Jomudi, like a real republic and a real democracy. Bye-bye, Alphonse, -bye, right? But worst case scenario, these guys, when you look at that one plus one and what the result is formula that we just gave, I think they're going to make Iran the next hermit kingdom. And what I mean by that is that they're going to emulate North Korea. They're probably just going to close everything off or make it so hard to go in and out of the country. Um, they'll probably literally imprison like multiple generations of people. When I mean in prison, I don't mean like they're physically going to jail, but just do you want visas to go abroad? Nope, not happening. Nothing. Like it, they, I think they may go to that extreme. Unless if their goal is to go to that extreme and have everyone leave so that, you know, there's, I don't know, two, three thousand plus people who like work in the government get to have this massive country all to themselves, which wouldn't make sense because you still need an army that you cherish and loved in order to support your borders, right? So it just, that part to me just doesn't make sense. But to make it a hermit kingdom, I, I absolutely see that happening. And I think in order to get to the best case scenario, is remember the green movement lasted nine months no success i think they've hit a point where these people back home in iran have to just unfortunately keep going and the only way the tides will turn is if unfortunately if there, there is some type of foreign help not invent not foreign intervention because every foreign intervention in iran has just been its worst fucking present ever Okay, we had Mohammad uh, Mossadegh, who basically is the father of democracy, who's overthrown Operation Ajax in 1953, which was something that MI6 and the CIA conducted, where they paid off some generals in Iran, who imprisoned Mossadegh and brought back the Shah. That led to a campaign of mistrust in the Shah's government for the next 20 plus years, it allowed the Ahuns to really start, you know campaigning for themselves, show that they're the saviors. In 1979, 1978, 1979, the Shah leaves, puts Dr. Bakhtiar in power, whose tribe and people were part of massive reform movements going back to Rajar and way the fuck back for like the last thousand years. It's a noble tribe, very, very noble. And he did that as a symbolic reason, too little, too late. And... Jimmy Carter, instead of, for example, supporting Bakhtir, goes and supports the Ayatollahs. Okay, so the Ayatollahs are there because of Western and American help. So all these foreign interventions have ruined Iran, but they do need help. I think they need access to internet. They need access to medical care. 
these things are very important. Um, and the only other way I can see something happening is if like the United Nations physically goes to Iran with the UN peacekeeping troops and goes, we need to have fair elections. We're going to monitor the elections. We're going to make sure that A, B, and C happens. But I just don't know how Iranians will react to that because they're very prideful people and they don't want people kind of meddling in their affairs right now. Um, but yeah, the worst case scenario is they may not leave. And if they don't leave, shit will only get worse and more strict and more difficult for the people back home. And the only way that any change will happen is if this country, which isn't only this Gen Z movement, it's everybody. It's Gen Z, Gen Y, Millennial, Gen X, Boomer, and Old Timer. They are all out there, hand in hand, being a part of this. So they need to think about it like, okay, nine months of doing it, we gotta go longer. Maybe we go 29 months. They just, they can't keep it up. I think once the money starts hurting, I think the military will then have to intervene because they got people they got to feed and they got a country they got to defend. And it's very hard to keep your troops in order when they got wife and kids at home and they can't go give them food because they got no money. So I think unless if the military backs the people and goes, hey, look, we don't want to do anything with government. We just want to run our business empire, but our money's falling and we want to protect the country. So... Who do you want to be your leader? Let's have a referendum. We're going to kick these fuckers out. I think that is going to be part of the best case scenario. But the worst case scenario, just to finish us off, is they don't leave and they turn Iran into a hermit kingdom. And it's going to be very, very, very hard for our people to live a normal life again. And I know that sounds crazy, but you got to think of it from that perspective in order for us to make better change anyways we hope you enjoyed this episode have a wonderful day everybody don't forget to click subscribe give us thumbs up you can follow us on youtube spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you get your your uh your podcast streaming capabilities and we hope to see you soon on the next episode thank you very much